come on down to the Dodgy Brothers estate sale this weekend only. $9.99. Hey, girl, hey. Hey. Oh, dear (laughs) me. What's happened to Mooshelle? What's happened? Do you know what? I had a great night. I'm just a little hungover this morning. That's it. You've been celebrating life, have you? <laughs> <laughs> just booze. I don't. I haven't been on the booze that much lately, and, and right. there's quite a bit of it flowing last night. Oh, well, I had a little message from you late last night, Michelle. So I was aware oh, that you'd had a a joyous night out. Oh dear, I don't even know. I don't remember sending you a don't message. Don't you remember? This is what I heard last night. Oh hi, doll. I'm uh, I'm just out. I'm having dinner and some drinks. Um, <laughs> but that said, my nerds are. So all that was gone. you informing me that you were having dinner and some drinks. Oh Jesus! Then you went on to tell me that you were ready <gasps> to record. You had your notes done. You were all ready to go. But you do have bits. It's very bitty episode. You did warn me. And then shortly after, I had this message as well. By the way, if that was not clear, I am happy to record early. So I'm going to get up. I'm going to sit up. And then we're going to record. Adios. Which is exactly what you said in the first message, but then you felt that that wasn't clear, so you had to call me back immediately after and say, just in case that wasn't clear. Why was I even saying it? And why do I sound like someone took my brain away? (laughs) That's what it sounded like. (laughs) Listen, I really enjoyed that message. It brightened my evening. So I'm glad that you were out, obviously trawling the town of Zermatt. Hitting each bar as you went, trying a cocktail in each establishment. Well, you got to. You've got to live life. You You've only live once. That's right. Got to enjoy. You I mean, do. It takes me right back to when we went to a drag show and you called me a dickhead. Ah, <laughs> those are the good times. It's a good time right now because people are no longer locked down, locked in. Well, some people, obviously, not everyone enjoys the freedoms that you and I enjoy, Michelle, and we have to spare a thought for those not as lucky as us. And that's why yes. we do this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to eavesdropping the podcast where she, Michelle, and me, Geordie, just sit and talk, shoot shit, tell each other stories, and you get to eavesdrop. And eavesdrop you do. Now, I, <laughs> I had a comment oh. just about mindless chatter or whatever mortal clown had said. You, that upset you, did it? No, I had a comment from someone. Oh. One, one word. Rude. And I agree. Mortal clown, you're rude. Rude. Oh. Personal comment. Somebody just said, how rude. <laughs> just rude. <laughs> yes, well, it is rude when you when you belittle somebody's hard work without even listening. But some people seem to think that YouTube, that's what YouTube is for, for posting up things and then writing rude things about it on other people's things that you've posted up. I don't know. But I will tell trolls. you one thing. Trolls. trolls. I'll tell you one thing, Michelle. I've forgotten. I was going to tell you something really exciting and now I've forgotten. Well, I'll tell you something exciting. Yes, what? Well, you're looking lovely. You've got glowy skin today. Oh, thanks. I've got glowy skin. That's called a booze glow, but you just have a natural glow. That's natural not natural. Glow. It's not natural, Michelle. I've got makeup on. Oh, you do? Oh, well, you look lovely. Thank you. Actually, do you remember that lady, Natural Glow? No. From the 80s. It was one of those first TV shopping ads and she was British in Australia and it was one of those brush-on fake tan kind of powders and it was all natural glow natural glow i don't remember that jen will remember that i do remember an ad for palm olive dishwashing soap and there's marge or madge who's always in them she was always in the ads and she's sitting talking to another friend and she puts out a little glass bowl of, of liquid foamy liquid and she puts this lady's nails in it like she's giving her a treatment and they're talking about fucking dishwashing soap and then she says palm olive yes it's mild on your hands while you do the dishes you're soaking in it i do remember that what a fucking weird ad bizarre i'm gonna have to try and link to that because that's just wrong <laughs> it's just wrong <laughs> it's so wrong don't soak <laughs> in something that's so unnatural imagine the state of her cuticles after that 
I have to say, my cuticles, not really cuticles, my, what do you call the cuticles on your toes? The cuticles? Cuticles, yeah. Footicles? Footicles. Footicles? <laughs> uh, breasticles. My cuticles are cute. I actually think I have nice feet. Oh, lucky you. Uh, <laughs> big yourself up. My, big myself foot? Big yourself up, I said. Big, big foot up. Bigging myself up. When we had that pedicure, mm. it's still perfect. Not one chip. Weeks down the line. I'm chipped up to the gods. Chip, chip, chip. Oh. Chip away. <laughs> chip away. So, Michelle, last week we had recorded before this news hit the newsstands, but tragically, an icon has left the building. We're talking about ONJ, Olivia Neutron Bomb. Livy, you're the one that I want. Have you ever been mellow? And Xanadu, all those hits. Olivia Newton-John. I don't know that one. That was one of her first ones from the 70s. But I had older cousins and they used to introduce me to all sorts of tunes. Shout out <laughs> Helen, my cousin. I'm sure she doesn't listen, but never mind. So Olivia Newton-John, she had breast cancer. She's had it for years. I think she she even had mastectomies. I'm not sure. I didn't do the research on that. But she was poorly and she passed away finally at her Southern Californian ranch on Monday, the 8th of August, which was at this time of recording last week, surrounded by yeah. family and friends and her husband, John Easterling, who it looks like they had a really beautiful relationship. Okay. And she married him in 2008. She was, was she 70? Was she only 70? What? I feel like 70 is so young. No, she must have been older than that. I'm not sure. But she's... Got a daughter, Chloe, who's 36. Oh, so sad. Is that with Matt Latanzi? Yes. Matt Latanzi was her husband. She met that guy in 1980 while filming the musical fantasy Xanadu. Xanadu. Fa, 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 fa. They had a daughter, yeah. Chloe, which was her only child. And then her and Matt Latanzi, they divorced amicably. Nine years later, so little Chloe was only nine, and they've always stayed friends. But listen, this is Olivia's checkered love life. People say that Olivia Newton-John was the loveliest person ever to work with. Everyone who's known her, everyone who's ever worked with her, they all say wonderful things about this beautiful, beautiful soul. I feel so sad that she died. She was 73. 73, okay. She's 73. Still young. Still young. So young. Oh. So a year after she and Matt Latanzi broke up, did you know, you probably do because it's everywhere in the news, Olivia met a cameraman, Patrick McDermott, who she was on and off with dating for about nine years. And in 2005, this guy, well, they were on a break at the time. This, and this is from Wikipedia, right? This guy, McDermott, he disappeared from a fishing charter boat off San Pedro, Los Angeles on June 30th. In, like I said, 2005. He was the passenger on a fishing boat which had left from San Pedro Marina for a 22-hour-long overnight fishing trip, right? Now, this guy would do this quite often. He often went on overnight fishing trips. And on this occasion, he booked the trip solo and he didn't know any of the other 22 passengers or crew. He disappeared and no one noticed, Michelle. <gasps> no one fucking knows. I mean, this is, I mean, you read everywhere no. that this guy went missing, okay? And no one knows what happened to him. He was never found, blah, blah, blah. People say, oh, they've spotted him here, there and everywhere. And it's all a conspiracy. But actually, the bizarrest thing about this story to me is the fact that he went on a fishing trip with 22 other people overnight. On the way back, there was no head count. All the passengers got off. Some of his personal belongings were still there on the boat, including car keys, passport, wallet. And his car was found near the marina, parked up where he'd left it. But no one fucking noticed that he was gone until about a week and a half later, July 6th. What? July 6th, 2005, when he didn't show up at a family event. That was the first sign that something was amiss. So what about these 22 Fuck people me. on the fishing boat? God. So then the, the Coast Guard gets called out. Then they go off and try and look for him. And like I said, there are so many theories that this guy may have faked his own death. I keep saying this guy. It's so rude. The poor man. His name is Patrick McDermott. Then there were reports alleging that he was seen in Mexico with a new girlfriend or that he'd gone off grid to dodge his tax debts. And there was even a private investigator who was said to have discovered him in 2010 living 
on a boat off the coast of Acapulco and that he just wanted to be left alone. But there is no proof of any of this. That all sounds like bullshit. Honestly, I think this guy just had an accident. I think so. But the awful thing is that no one bloody noticed. Yeah, but what was that movie where two people went, and based on true story, where they went diving? Open water. Open water. And no one noticed they weren't on the boat. You know, you hear this. It happens. Oh, like, Lord. fucking terrifying. Shame on you, people. Shame on you. That's the upshot. Shame on people for not taking care of their fellow man. Anyway, in an interview in 2009, Olivia, yeah. and it's an Australian interview, Olivia Newton-John described being haunted by the trauma of losing her former lover and never knowing what really happened to him. And it never sat with her very well and she never found peace. Of course not. So it must be hard. When anyone goes missing and there's a question mark over, where the fuck are they? You don't know, alive, dead, nothing. You're in that state of mental limbo about it. I, I just think that's the torture of it. There's no finality. Yeah, it must be so hard not knowing the answers to these long-asked, long-wondered questions. Yeah. I often think about a lot of mysteries in the, in the world and think, when will we ever find out the answer to that? When will we ever find out what happened to that person, that person? You know? Well, when the fucking glacier melts, I tell you right now, <laughs> that's when we find out. Secrets are being revealed, people. Bodies in the deep freeze. <laughs> this brings me, Michelle, to my story that I'm going to tell you today. It brings me to an update that our intrepid researcher, Ren, brought to me weeks ago. So this is not exactly news to most people who listen to podcasts because a lot of other people have already covered this, but I don't care. I want to talk about the 73-year-old mystery of the Somerton Man, which they think has been now solved after 73 years. Wow. Does it have anything to do with climate change? I don't know. So maybe just do a recap on who Somerton Man Well, I'll have to do a recap. Absolutely. Now, Michelle, you and I did discuss this briefly when we were talking about what to talk about this week. And I was convinced that you had covered this story before. I was convinced you had covered this story before. Exactly. We both thought each other had talked about this story. It's quite a famous one. Mm. And it's on all the mystery, mysterious mystery podcasts that you can find out there or true crime podcasts that you might ever hear. Somerton Man or Tamam Should is the other title for this mystery. It all started in Australia, December 1948. Two trainee jockeys. Yeah. And I don't know why that's important to include this in the story, but I felt that it was. It was not in <laughs> any other story that I've heard, but I discovered this little fact just yesterday, and I wanted to include it in my story, that two little tiny trainee jockeys, <laughs> it could have been you and Andreas walking <laughs> along the beach, but they were walking along the beach and they discovered an unidentified man's body slumped by a sea wall in Somerton Beach, which is near Adelaide in South Australia, somewhere I've never been. Me either. They have something called Wom Adelaide there. Yeah. Which is like WOMAD, which we have here in the UK, which was started by Peter Gabriel, which is a celebration of world music. And they've got the same thing on in Adelaide, WOM Adelaide. And I believe Adelaide has become quite the cultural capital yes. of... Australia. Yeah, it has in recent years. Um, I had a friend of mine who was running one of the big art galleries down there and it's certainly come alive in the last decade. That's for sure. One other famous fact I've got about Adelaide, and I could be wrong, but I think I'm right, is that the video clip for the song... It's a long way to the top if you, you want, want to rock, rock and roll, roll by ACDC, Australia's own ACDC featuring Bon Scott, was filmed on the back of a flatbed truck with them playing, I think, driving through the streets of Adelaide. Is it Adelaide? Correct, if I'm wrong, people. Yeah, I think so. That was back in the days when making a video, you just didn't care. You just got an idea you and you did it. just stood on the back of a truck. Yep. And they drive you through the streets of Adelaide. You mime, your song, and you're done. You're That's done. it. And also, if you want to sell some used cars, you get the Dodgy Brothers up on the back of that flatbed <laughs> and they go, come on down to the Dodgy Brothers. Estate sale. This weekend only. $9.99. New car? $9.99. Anyway, oh I don't God. know what I'm talking about anymore. I, I'm talking about a mystery of the Somerton Man, which happened in 1948, Michelle. It's 73 years ago. 73? Did I say 73? That's when Olivia Newton-John was born. Oh, my God. It's all coming together. 1948. God, I didn't even realise. Anyway, guys, sorry if I've lost you. I'm so sorry. 
I'm not the one with a hangover here. <laughs> so they, these two jockeys found an unidentified man's body slumped by a seawall in Somerton near Adelaide. He was wearing a perfectly pressed suit, double-breasted jacket with his suit. Shoes were perfectly polished and an unlit cigarette was resting on his shirt collar or on his chest. There's two different uh, versions of that where I found all my research. All the tags of every item of clothing had been cut out. In his pockets were a packet of juicy fruit chewing gum, mm. an American metal comb. Some people say there were two combs. I've just got one here. A bus ticket to a place called North Glenelg, which I believe is in Victoria. It is. Army club cigarettes, which must be an old brand that no longer exists, and a box of matches. A scrap of paper, which was torn from a book. This is the most interesting piece of the puzzle of, of all. Okay. And this piece of paper, which was the last page of a book, it said... Tamam should, which means finished or ended in Persian. Right. So this scrap of paper were in, was on his person yeah. in his pockets. So a month later, on January 14th, a suitcase was found by staff at Adelaide train station, which they all believed belonged to, well, they didn't believe, everybody involved in the investigation believed belonged to the Somerton man, okay. as he is now known. Inside the suitcase, they found scissors, Shoe polish. Well, he did have perfectly polished shoes, didn't he? Yeah. A tie. He liked to dress nice. An <laughs> ashtray. He's a smoker. We know that. Spoon and a toothbrush. Now, who travels with a spoon? It's a bit weird. Drug addict. What do you need the spoon for? Is he a drug addict? Does he like Rice Krispies in the morning? <laughs> who knows? Very unusual. And a laundry bag. The other thing is he had a laundry bag as well, uh, Michelle, and it was labelled with the name T. Keen, K-E-A-N-E, Keen, like the band, Keen. Keen. T. Keen. So the police obviously thought, well, this is T. Keen. They looked around. They couldn't find anybody unaccounted for by that name. So the police then looked to the public to help them with their inquiries. They asked if anybody had a copy of the book that was missing the last, the last page. So our book, okay. missing the last page, does anyone have it? Okay. Well, strangely enough, someone did. Months later, a man came forward saying to the police that he had a book of classic Persian poetry called the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, which had been thrown into the back of his car around the time of the incident. So his car had the back window open and this book was thrown into the back of his car. What? This is There were crazy. also letters. Yeah. I know. There were also letters scribbled on its back cover. I mean, this story is just rich with clues and confusion and it's like a spy. A spy it sounds like a murder mystery dinner party. It does, Who's doesn't got it? Who's the book? Why does it have the last page torn out and why is the page in his pocket? And who threw the book in the back seat of that car? Mm. Was it him or was it his murderer? Who knows? So anyway, this kicked off the idea that the Somerton man was a Russian. Right. Because he had the writing on the backs of that page. They just decided he was a Russian spy and this is code. Okay. He also had extremely strong calf muscles <laughs> and that led people to believe that he was a ballet dancer. <laughs> and there were, no, there were theories that the, he was even from the touring Ballet Russe who were touring Australia between 1936 and 1940. Oh Not the whole time. They came and went three times during that period. Right. But this is in 1948 then he was found dead. Maybe he decided, maybe he met someone, maybe he stayed on, who knows. Also on the back cover, besides the strange letters which people thought were code was the phone number and the police traced that to a young nurse named Joe Thompson who lived five minutes walk from where Somerton Man was discovered dead. Right. So obviously they must have got her in to look at the body to see if she knew this guy or... Well, you're jumping their gun, Michelle. Yes, oh. they did. she did. Ooh. In fact, that's exactly what happened. They took her in to see... They'd done a plaster cast of his face. So basically a death mask. I don't know why they couldn't let her see the actual body. She's a nurse. She's seen worse. Come on. I know. So I don't know why. Maybe the fridge was on the blink. I don't know why. Oh, Geordie. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they couldn't let her see the dead body, but they did a plaster cast, which it turns out, Michelle, later on, I'll tell you, it, it's quite integral to this story. So the mask, she comes in and says, oh, I don't know who that is. But the taxidermist, taxidermist, I don't know why it's a taxidermist, Ew. who was there at the time, said, 
it was obvious to him or them that she knew this guy and she was covering something up. Oh, dodgy nurse, dodgy nurse. So dodgy nurse Joe, we'll call her. She was also mother to a young boy named Robin at the time of the Somerton man's death. And over the years, it was theorised that Robin was the illegitimate child of Somerton Man because Robin had the same distinctive teeth and ears as the dead man. No. (gasps) Now, years later, it was also discovered that they had both been born without the same two teeth in their head. Oh. I mean, I don't have two teeth in my head. That's my... No, one. I'm missing one wisdom tooth. Hmm. Okay, weirdo. So sometimes that can happen, and I don't know if it's genetic. I am weird. Yes, <laughs> I I own it, Michelle. I can own that. Well, do you know what? I had to have a root canal because oh. I had a I had basically oh what was the name for it? It was two teeth that had grown together. Oh, a twin tooth. Twin tooth. It was terrifying. Was it just one <laughs> huge tooth? Well, it was in the front, but apparently it was a twin tooth <laughs> in the front. Yeah, it's this one. They didn't take it out. I had to have a root canal. I had roots for two teeth. So it oh. was like a twin tooth. I think I'm the weird one. I think you are. I think you've hit the nail <laughs> on that head. So anyway, back to Robin. Later in life, Michelle, here's another thing. And this is what makes this my favourite theory of all. Later in life, Robin became a ballet dancer and performed for the <gasps> Australian Ballet School. So to me... That whole Nurse Joe knowing Somerton Man, Robin being his illegitimate child. She married another guy called George in the end, who Robin believed was his father, whether or not he was, no one knows. Yeah. I left hearing that mystery just going, okay, that's it then. That's definitely it. Now, they did do an autopsy on Somerton Man, but they couldn't determine a cause of death. Although it did reveal that he had an enlarged spleen and his liver was in poor condition, which led to speculation of poisoning, though no trace of poison was found. I was going to say he's just a boozer. That's what I was thinking too, Michelle. I just feel like Mm. he's a man who's fallen on hard times. Yeah, and he's drinking himself to death. Yeah. Forensic genealogy makes its appearance at this point in my story, Michelle, which leads to the discovery of who Somerton Man is. They now know who it is. But to get to that point of my story, I'm going to just tell you about Professor Derek Abbott from the University of Adelaide. So obviously he's from Adelaide. It's a big story there. It's become his life's work. He teamed up with an American genealogist called Colleen Fitzpatrick. And together they analysed DNA evidence from hairs caught in that plaster cast. No. Yes which I thought was a genius little touch to this story. So in this death mask that they made, it caught DNA evidence, which way back in 1948, they they even dreamed of such a thing happening in the future. And here it is. So they've got hair and they're able to do DNA. And of course, thanks to that, we've got things like 23andMe and all those other DNA tracing sites. And thanks to that, they finally traced, 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 traced and found that Somerton Man has a name and they believe it to be Carl, otherwise known as Charles Webb, who was a 43-year-old electrical engineer from Melbourne. Okay. Not a spy, not a whatever else they thought he was. Doesn't speak Farsi or whatever. No. But there is still a lot of speculation and mystery surrounding the whole thing. But like I said before, the genealogical research site that was integral to the Golden State Killer case, and I think that was 23andMe, was used for Somerton Man. And through that, they found a distant cousin on the Somerton Man's paternal side, his father's side, Then they worked through a family tree of more than 4,000 people until they found a match for a cousin who must have done a 23andMe at some point, many times removed, whose DNA was kept on file. So that's how they matched it up. There was like a ping. This person is related to that person. And that's how they found out that this is Carl or Charles Webb. There was no details of his death. There's no documents about his death. There's no date. There's no... Well, he's not in the births, deaths and marriage register, I imagine. Well, births, yeah. Marriage, yeah. But not his death. Yeah. They looked through historical electoral rolls and they began to vet some of the details in them until they eventually discovered that Charles Webb was born in 1905 in Victoria And that's where the police in the 40s believed he was from, probably because of that ticket in his pocket taking him back to Glenelg. 
that they discovered that he worked as an electrical engineer through the electoral rolls, and he was also an instrument maker. Ooh. Is that a luthier? Like a guitar maker? I don't know. Could be. Also discovered was that he had a sister who lived near his home in Melbourne, and she was married, Michelle, here's another little piece of the puzzle slotting back together, to a man named Thomas Keane. T. Keane. <gasps> there it is. There He's it is. borrowed his sister's husband's sweater. Or did he steal it? No, it was his laundry bag. Oh, his laundry bag. He was probably staying there. I reckon this guy fell on hard times. Yeah. So moving forward, then Abbott and Fitzpatrick, the two, the genealogist and the professor who were doing all this research, they learned all sorts of things about Charles Webb. They found out that he loved poetry. Hmm. Hence, he had the book of the Rubaiyat on his person. And he wrote his own poetry. And... He was a betting man. He loved the GGs, Michelle. <laughs> What's a GG? Horsey. The GGs. The trots. Going down the trots. Going down the trots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Have you got the trots? <laughs> what? Isn't that a term? Going down the trots. The trots. They don't do the trotting anymore. They used to do trotting in carriages, didn't they? But now it's just horse racing. They did, yes. Yeah, I don't know which, whether it was the trots or the racing. I don't know which one that Charles Webb enjoyed the most. But he was a betting man. I don't know how they discovered it, but that would kind of suggest that those letters at the back of the book were shorthand for names of horses rather than spies trying to communicate with each other. Yes. It also came to light that he left his wife, Dorothy Robinson, in 1947. That's two years before he died. And at some point she filed for divorce and by 1951 had moved to the town of Butte in South Australia. This is all the facts. This is just facts. Right? Yeah. Now, in 2009, Professor Abbott tried to find Nurse Jo Thompson, who is definitely somehow still, to me, linked to this story with her little boy, Robin. The police had interviewed her during the original investigation because her phone number, her phone number was in the back of the bloody book. So yeah. how, why? She just claimed to have no knowledge of why or how, said she didn't know him. Don't know him. No. But sadly for the professor, both Joe Thompson and her son, Robin Thompson, had both died by 2009. In oh, fact, Robin no. Thompson died in 2009. But Abbott, on the other hand, relentless, he managed to track down and speak to Robin's daughter, Rachel Egan. Now, this is a feat in itself, Michelle, because Rachel had been adopted and raised in New Zealand. In fact, she didn't even find out that she was adopted till she was in university. The twists. But guess what? Guess what? What? Rachel was drawn to ballet also. She was also, in a, you know, an amateur ballerina. Hmm. So while she was at university, that's when she found out she was adopted only because she received a letter from a social worker telling her. What the fuck? I know. Isn't that outrageous? That is outrageous. That's outrageous. Yep. Yeah. So then she managed to make contact with her birth mother, Roma Egan, who was a professional ballet instructor oh and gosh. moved from New Zealand to Brisbane. Robin married. No, he didn't. Marry. He had a relationship with Roma Egan. That's what happened. So because Robin was into ballet. Met Potentially Somerton Man's legitimate son. He was a ballet dancer. He met Roma, who was a ballet instructor, and they were traveling in New Zealand. They had a baby. They had to put up for adoption. When Professor Abbott found Rachel Egan in 2009, he was convinced that she was a blood relative of the Somerton Man in his quest. To At this point, he didn't know it was Charles Webb. Rachel then agreed to meet Professor Abbott for dinner. Ooh. And she let him look at her ears and her teeth <gasps> to see if she had any of these distinctive features. Well, do you know what happened, Michelle? What? They fell in love. Oh, that's so nice. And a year later, they were married and they now have three children. And do the kids have weird ears and missing teeth? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, it's curiosity. Well, it is interesting. So, yeah, like I said, they have three children, but Rachel no longer speaks to her birth mother, Roma, because Roma felt that the professor was only marrying her daughter to access her DNA. I'm sorry. There's other ways of doing that. You just take her out for a coffee for a Starbucks and you just take it. He sat her down for dinner and not only did she allow him to look inside her mouth and in her ears, she also allowed him to put a ring on it. So it's all worked exactly. out for them. Exactly. But now the professor and his colleagues have done all their research and if they're correct 
and it was indeed Charles Webb whose body was found on the beach back in 1948. Those physical features that Charles Webb and Robin Thompson shared were just a bizarre coincidence. Right. And Rachel Egan is actually not the granddaughter of the Somerton man. So that was a red herring. A red herring all along. And Rachel has since said, I'm waiting for Derek to file divorce papers. Hang on. So they were in love. Now they're... No, she was joking. She was joking. It was oh, a joke. When oh. they all realised that she wasn't actually Somerton Man's... Because Charles Webb had no DNA. Oh, that took me a while. But let me just quickly explain it and make it clear to you and any eavesdroppers out there who are also hungover. It was a little joke. It was a little joke from Rachel saying that <laughs> once they discovered that Charles Webb had no familial DNA linked to her... And he was the Somerton yeah. man. And Robin wasn't ever the son of Somerton man, as was believed to be all along. Then she just said, oh, I'm waiting for Derek to fall. Divorce. Anyway, that's that. That's the story, Michelle. Mystery solved. Well, some of it. Anyway, how did he die? Who killed him? Was he killed? Did he just die? I get the impression that maybe he was drunk. I feel like he was drunk and... Drunk, fallen on hard times. Fell asleep and, yeah. yeah. Poor guy. Don't want no vanilla slice. Don't want no ice. Bo, bo. Don't want no chucky. Wagon wheel. You got Nina's tarts. The smoke. You right there? Give us a light. The two-tone taste of fabulousness. Two birds yakking. It's a mystery. Mystery. I think I must have got this week's topic a little bit the wrong. Wrong. Because. I don't know. I've got scary, scammy stuff. That's okay. You can just tell me a story, Michelle, or bits. If you've got bits, give me bits. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay my bits on the table right now. I'm going to start my first bit. I'm talking about Q, a.k.a. QAnon. I miss those guys. Me too. They just haven't been around. And look, you know, loyal eavesdroppers, they know a bit about Q from us. And if you don't know QAnon, because they have been out of the news since Trump's gone on his merry way, um, they're basically <laughs> a right-wing conspiracy theory group who believed that Donald Trump is trying to bring down a global satanic child sex trafficking ring run by baby-eating Hollywood elites and members of the Democratic Party. Yep, including yeah. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, George Clooney. Oh, I think Beyonce's in there chomping on babies as well. Yep. And they're all hiding these kids they were munching on down in the basement of a pizza place called Comet Ping Pong. Which doesn't have a basement as one of these gun-toting, QAnon-loving, MAGA-loving extremists discovered when he went in there guns blazing to a family pizza restaurant. Take me to the basement. I'm saving the kids. We don't have a basement. Oops. Yep. Look, according to a news report I read on Mashable... QAnon influencers on Telegram. And look, that's the uh, WhatsApp of choice for all the conspiracy theorists. They feel that they're going underground and they're not being encrypted and they're not being listened to or spied on. You know, it's Russian owned. Oh. I wonder if they know that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. It's basically a version of WhatsApp. There are these two QAnon influencers called... Patriot Cakes and Cakes is with a Q, Q-A, Quakes. Oh. And Whiplash 347. Not their real names, Geordie. No, not their real names. Not their real names. (laughs) (laughs) And they've got followers on Telegram because you can actually like follow people. Oh. Have a group and you can join up to a group on Telegram. And one great big massive echo chamber. How wonderful. Well. Patriot Cakes and and Whiplash 347, they're basically encouraging their followers into what's essentially crypto Ponzi schemes. Oh, God. Now, you know we love a Ponzi scheme on this podcast. According to Mashable, Whiplash 347, who has 277,000 people subscribing to his Telegram group, they've all signed up to hear about his Q conspiracy theories over the years. Yeah. And along with Patriot Cakes, who's actually a woman called Emily Tang, she also oh. runs a group called Quantum Stellar Initiative, and that's on Telegram as well. She only has 30,000 subscribers. And I say only, I'd fucking love 30,000 <laughs> eavesdroppers. It's not only, that's quite a substantial number. Yeah. But they've both been outed recently for leveraging their Q following 
to scam people mm. out of millions of American dollars by <gasps> using Q conspiracies to suck them into the group and then yep. recommending these dodgy crypto schemes. Honestly. Words fail me, Michelle. Words fail me. You could be thinking, sucked in, you deserve it. If you're on there, (laughs) if you're on there, maybe you've asked for it. But anyway. That's not very kind, though, is it? But there is a former admin of this QSI Telegram chat group called Rocky Morningside. That's their real name. I think it is. And I don't know whether it's It's a he or a she. They believe that Whiplash 347 and Emily Tang... And this QSI group, just scammers, because they were yeah. endorsing these pump and dump schemes in a Ponzi. Pump and dump? Yeah. I'll explain that. In this Ponzi-style pyramid on a blockchain currency platform called Stella. So basically, these Q influencers would tell their followers to invest in Stella, which is a bit like Bitcoin or Ethereum, except it's basically anyone can create their own currency in these five easy steps. And that's what they were doing. Just make it up. But they were creating these scammy tokens and currencies. And then after all their followers had pumped their money into these dodgy tokens, the owners of the tokens would dump the tokens and exchange it all for real money or a more established uh. cryptocurrency, basically a tactic called the rug pull in the crypto space. Okay. And look, they were create these tokens were all created under a domain name called Indus Gold. You know, they would tell their followers, their Q followers, that the crypto was backed by a real New York bank, which had a similar name, but not quite the same, you know, to make it all sound legit. But it was all... All fake. There was one called the Sun Gold token, and it was pitched to these Q followers as being backed by a, a Kazakh gold mine. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's a what? fucking red flag right there. Oh, it's a it's Kazakh a gold mine in Kazakhstan. Do you know what I mean? Like, just make shit just up. Make just shit make up. shit up. Oh God, there's gold in them. There are Kazakh heels. Yeah. And, you know, it was also apparently linked to a Russian company of the same name. But no one's doing their research. So they're just, it doesn't, it doesn't no. fucking exist. Oh, God. These influencers have made millions and millions from their followers. And like I said before, it is hard to feel sorry for these right-wing conspiracy theorists who maybe are a bit dumb enough to pump cash into these fake crypto coins but there is this one anecdote about a guy who lost more than 98% of his $100,000 investment into these QAnon crypto scams he lost his house he lost his construction business because he couldn't pay any debts and he did take his own life so it's really fucking tragic they might be coining it quite literally but there are people who put their trust in these schemes and they end up on their asses or worse there are real life consequences to scamming not good. people yeah to be fair if you're gullible enough to believe in all of this QAnon shit you're probably gullible enough to put your money into these fake crypto coins mm. but to be fair they also were using tactics like to convince these followers to invest by saying you know they'd got the inside scoop from secret military intelligence because these people knew which assets were going to succeed. And, you know, if you're right in the thick of all this Q stuff, I guess you're going to believe. They would also say that they had connections to Donald Trump and Elon Musk. And that's how, you know, they had the inside track. But they also apparently claimed that aliens were going to facilitate a quantum wealth transfer to these followers. Oh. <laughs> what, what the actual fuck? I know. But... um. <laughs> And look, apparently the Mashable article that went on to say that they'd found YouTube videos where Emily Tang was whipping up excitement among her followers by talking about banking cabals. Now, you know they all love a... They love a cabal. They do love a cabal. And that was supposedly giving her credibility to back up her scammy crypto assets. Yeah. And, you know, convincing people to part with their cash. They're playing on people's suspicions and... I know people who think that there are cabals and that there are 13 or there are the Illuminati who run the world. Mm. And there may be a grain of truth in that, Michelle, but none of us actually know. We don't know. We can't just suddenly decide that we do and then make up a cryptocurrency and let's fuck the cabal in the arse. Oh, my God. It's just... Fuck a cabal in the arse. My goodness. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, the upshot here for me is 
if you're a QAnoner and you're thinking of investing in some crypto coins, do your fucking research. Think twice, <laughs> my friends. Do your own research. There we go. Well done, Michelle. That's that's a great story. I love that. Geordie, I have a question for you. What would that question be, Michelle? Are you a fan of vacuuming? I have to say that vacuuming is my least favourite job. Next <laughs> down the list after toilet cleaning. That's why I get someone else to do it. Oh, someone else is putting that toilet tongue down the airspend. Yes. I actually don't mind pushing a vacuum around. Right. Especially if I've popped a podcast on and I'm mindlessly sucking up some crap off the floor. Fair. Except actually at the moment our vacuum isn't functioning so well. It's one of those... It's, an, it's actually an Electrolux. It was expensive. Michelle, this is starting to sound a little bit like Madge and her friend with her hands in the dishwashing <laughs> soap. Who <laughs> talks about domestic appliances? Well, I do because I have actually thought about, you know, one of those weird Roombas. You, do you know those a robot. discs that you... Yeah, one of those robot yeah, ones. that would be good. I've, I've thought about that. And you know the ones, anyone who doesn't know what I mean. Do you remember during the Winter Olympics, people would take the piss out of them because they look like the curling. Yes, a curling disc. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's a round robot thing. It sucks up all the crap off your floor, you know, gobbling up all the bits of junk. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, I will never get one of those fucking things because I read an article about how Amazon is acquiring iRobot. And that is the parent company of Roomba. And this shit touches on something you know that I'm crazy about. Privacy. You know I'm, I'm, yes. I go insane about this because yes. I feel like people ignore the very real effects of... Inviting a listening device into your home or a robot or a seeing device. Exactly. Yeah. AKA Alexa. Never get one of those in my home. Anyway, apparently... It's an all-cash deal that Amazon is proposing to iRobot and they're all cash. And they're paying around $1.7 billion. In cash? In cash. Not in Bitso currency or whatever it's called. No, <laughs> no not in the sun gold <laughs> currency. But who even does cash deals anymore? Because so many places don't do. even take cash. I mean, in, you can't spend cash. I know, cash. And I hate that. Cash is king. Come on. We need those bits of paper. I actually, I mean, don't even get me started on cash because I have quite strong opinions on the demise of cash and what that means. For me, no cash means no freedom. Cash is the last bastion of of having any kind of privacy in your fucking life. Because credit cards are basically electronic surveillance. Tracking you all day long. You're spending. But... You might ask why on earth Amazon wants to acquire a funny little cleaning robot for that much money. And you fucking touched on it. What they are doing is they're interested in the house mapping technology installed in these robots. Because they want to get their hands on the data of how big your house is, how many rooms you have. Might even pop a camera in one of those Roombas. And a fucking microphone. So they can see everything you own. (gasps) They can see, you know, if there's a camera in there, they're seeing your belongings. But who's looking at the footage of 12 million people or whoever, however many people buy a Roomba? Who's looking at the footage of their feet or their cat? Who's doing that? A human has to be looking at it. Well, you say that, but there is also potential for Amazon to connect this up in a way that they've done with the Ring doorbell cam. I love that, by the way. Okay, well, listen to this. Maybe you might not love this so much because Amazon has admitted that it gives footage from its ring security cameras to the police without the consent of the people who own those ring doorbell cams. But to be fair, for example, one of the ways in which they caught the murderer of Sarah Everard, the poor girl who was abducted by a policeman, actually bus footage and also somebody's door cam footage. And that's how they're catching a lot of criminals who are stealing But cars. you know what? That's absolutely fine if the person... It's not looking at me inside my house in my dressing gown wafting around, lighting incense cones <laughs> or whatever it is that I do behind closed doors, you know. The thing is that 
everything from your ring camera does get stored somewhere. Did you know that? Yes. And that's why I cancelled the subscription for that part of it. Mine just links up when somebody's at the door. I've taken that off now. So it's just when somebody rings the doorbell and I can talk to them if I want to, which is great. So if I can say, oh, hi, Dan, hot posty, <laughs> pop it to the side as usual. How's the missus? See you later. Well, all I'm saying with this is... And none of mine is stored. If it's stored, then I don't get to see it. Right. Well, all I'm saying is with the Sarah Everard case, if they actually willingly handed over their cam footage, fine. Oh, I see. Because people are just taking it. That's what you're saying. The police are just taking well, it. Well, Amazon is giving it to the police without anybody oh, consenting to having that footage handed over. And do you know what? That means Amazon's keeping it. Amazon ha- has real humans going through this shit. Yes. So you say, who's looking at the house mapping from my Roomba? Well, you don't know. And if they are putting microphones in then you're also being listened to. The thing is that the Amazon Ring, they're not just storing footage, they're storing audio as well. And no one gave their consent to that. I bet you didn't give your consent to having audio stored. Yeah, but it's not going to hear me because it's outside my house. How do you know? Because it's only... There's a lot of stuff we don't know about this. So... Yeah. Well, that's an issue with that. If, if if you're telling me that we don't know that we have listening devices that, you know, usually you can tell us something's recording you because the light will flash green or whatever. Ain't no light flashing. That's outrageous if that's the case, Michelle. If that is indeed the case. What proof do you have? Is there proof? I've got some links. They're wow. in trouble. Amazon's in trouble for this. <laughs> okay. Amazon, I feel like they are climbing the ladder trying to be everything to everyone. At all times. The police, security. It gets worse because just last month, Amazon, in another massive all-cash deal worth $3.9 billion, announced that they are set to acquire the telehealth company One Medical in America. So to put that into perspective, you can now go to Amazon to buy your books, your TV subscription, your groceries, your smart home devices like your Roomba, your Alexa, whatever else, and now your medicine. What could go wrong, you know? I mean, they have the data on what you eat, what you read, what you watch, what you buy, what you ask Alexa, the map of your house, how healthy you are. And obviously, there has been massive backlash about this in the States because do you really want Amazon having your personal health data? I don't. No, of course not. And I feel like people don't take privacy seriously, but it's a massive issue. And you are now getting these big companies acquiring all of this because data is the currency of the world right now. And if it wasn't important, you wouldn't have these big tech giants trying to know everything about you. Yeah. So I guess the upshot here, people, is if you care about your data privacy, don't get a robot. Is it fact or is it just my opinion? Kind of both. Don't sue me. So I was doing some um, some duck duck going. I think I googled alien scammers or something. What? Yeah, I don't even know why I was googling just random shit. This phrase called teal swan came up again and again. And I was like, what the fuck is a teal swan? Turns out teal swan is not a green swan alien, but a woman. More than that, she is this self-proclaimed spiritual guru with a massive following. T-E-A-L-S-W-A-N. I kind of was like, what the fuck? So she's this gorgeous, tall, dark-haired woman with fucking not a pore visible on her skin. And... She has this massive following on YouTube. Now, I said she's this spiritual guru. I just want to say she has no training as a counsellor, but she calls herself a spiritual catalyst who can help people move through feeling suicidal. It's like the darkest thing to try and help someone through when you have zero qualifications. Can I stop you there for a moment? Yes. I... As you know, I'm training as a counsellor mm-hmm. and some of my colleagues and peers in my class 
who have as much training as me, which isn't, you know, we're not qualified, but even pre-starting our course, anyone can volunteer at any kind of Samaritans. They give you training. They give you basic training. But one of my friends stroke peers on the course volunteers at the listening place, I think it's called, which is primarily to help people who are suicidal. And they're just like you and me. They get their training and then they're let loose with people. Okay, well, that's one step more than Teal Swan. Oh, really? She hasn't even had that training. Nothing. She's just self-proclaimed, brought it on upon herself. I'm a spiritual guru and I'm going to help people. Perhaps she's just very empathetic or perhaps she's just really good with people or good listener. Put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that and see what you think after I tell you a little bit about Teal. Okay. She helps people uncover and process past trauma and also heal their psychic pain. So she's total jack of all trades, right? Right. (laughs) And she also describes herself as an international speaker, a best-selling author, and a survivor of severe childhood abuse. She also claims to be a medical savant. And she also claims that after you've eaten a meal, she can see the food digesting through your skin. Gross. That's an unfortunate skill. And it also seems that Teal Swan does not need any of these kind of inclusive pronouns that are very popular right now because she identifies as a multi-dimensional Arcturian alien. Right. Now, I looked up what an Arcturian alien is and apparently they are the most intelligent and peace-loving of all aliens and are the guardians of our galaxy. And they're helping humans. Mm. They're helping humans transcend into the next dimension. Uh, They also take care of the Milky Way galaxy and have transcended to the fourth and fifth dimensions and have developed etheric bodies able to float through time and space. I'd fucking Uh love that. That's great. Now, as Earthlings, we know all this about the Arcturians because of a psychic called Edgar Cayce. And I think we've talked about him previously. Yes, he does sound familiar. This whole concept of these Arcturian aliens sounds familiar to me. Mm, And you know I love an alien. Apparently, Edgar could communicate with these Arcturians telepathically. And he was given information about their origins. And he then shared that with the rest of the world. Where I have a small issue with Teal Swan is that apparently Arcturians are between three and four feet high, round about my height, actually, and they have bluish green skin and they have that classic broad kind of oval eyes, like a little bit like the greys, the communion cover. And they only have three fingers per limb. Oh, Right. She's got five fingers. She's five feet ten. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure how she's getting around that small detail. But anyway, hey-ho. Interestingly, Teal grew up. Have a guess, Jordy. Have a guess where she grew up in America. Uh, Utah. Yes. <laughs> she grew up in fucking Utah, right? And apparently. I'm yelling at Michelle. I think I'm on board. I think I know where we're going. So apparently she knew uh, from a very young age that she had a special gift as a healer. She also claims that from age six, she was forced into a satanic cult and she mm. suffered from ritual sexual abuse and torture for 13 Fuck. years. And that she witnessed the sacrifice and ritual sexual abuse of at least two young children. Oh, my God. I mean, thing is, no evidence of that. But anyway, she also says during those years, she worked as a highly successful international runway model in Fiji and Milan. Can any of this be proven, Michelle? No. I mean, not the satanic panic part. But the runway model stuff must be provable. Well, look, people who've had more time to scour the internet than me have (laughs) said they've found zero evidence of her modelling career or that she was in a satanic cult. But she also claims that she had a childhood mentor who was a sociopath with multiple personalities. And apparently Mm. this guy sewed Teal Swan into a human corpse for 12 hours. Fuck. After which he then ate the thigh of, of the dead man in front Jesus of her. Jesus Christ. Again, no evidence has been found That's of this some shit. some twisted imagination or for, for either he or her, whoever came up with it first. She also says this same mentor forced her uh, to lure immigrants over the border. Don't know which border, don't know where, 
that she had to lure these children over for ritual child sacrifices. Oh, for God's uh, sake. Although none of these alleged murders were ever reported and there's no evidence that backs up any of these claims, which fucking thank God, you know, God. in a way, yeah. right? But look, as mad as all this sounds, the thing that has really got her into hot water over the last few years is that in her videos, and I tell you, she's got a fucking lot of videos on her YouTube channel, she has referred to suicide and death as a reset button. And there have been videos which I actually went on to her YouTube channel. They were they had been taken down. They've now been put up, but they've been edited. In these videos, she encourages suicidal people to visualize their own deaths, kind of like a dress rehearsal of how they would kill themselves. And she said that you know, suicide hotlines and mainstream medicine do not have the tools to be able to help suicidal people. And that she says, because she's tried to commit suicide four times herself, unlike any of these people on the hotlines, um, it's only her that can understand where these people are at and only she can help them. Can I just say Mm -hmm. that most people who present as suicidal will have already done that. They will have already envisaged every second, every moment. That's what being suicidal is. I actually started watching one of these videos on on suicide and how she calls death a reset. What she's essentially saying is, yeah, just kill yourself because that presses a reset. Unbelievable. And that's her helping. Yeah. So her helping is just saying, go on, just do it. She's not saying do it. She's saying if you do it, it's a reset. But the thing is, a reset button, it's like when you press a reset button on anything, it reboots and it comes back Cleans to life. Slate. Yeah. Sorry, you don't come back to life no, you don't. after you, do you take your own life. And look, when I was um, watching this one particular video, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I couldn't watch it. She is such a fucking narcissist, sociopath. It was unnerving because... She maintains this eye contact with the camera. She transitions between sort of these psychological terms and spiritual language and then kind of this casual sort of colloquial slang kind of trying to be down with the kids. She has this weird smile that you think she's sort of laughing at what she's saying. She's saying these very serious things and then she (laughs) kind of has this smile. So you don't know if she's taking the piss if she believes right. what she's saying, it's it's really creepy. Wow. What is even more creepy is all the comments under the videos. Yeah. And they're mostly from women and young girls who are like, thank you, Teal, you saved my life. I watched your video. So not everyone's pressing the reset button. And Shit. she's talking to these vulnerable lost people who are on the edge of wanting to kill themselves. Yeah. I was just weirded out by the same messages that were in these comments over and over um, under the videos. And they were all saying, you know, like, thank you, thank you, you're amazing. But I also feel like we all know that comments can be scammed. It's just her fucking organisation, you know, again and again and again, potentially writing all these comments. And I'm not saying that that's the truth because that would be slanderous. (laughs) But I'm saying... There's a potential for that. Like any comments on any YouTube video, you don't know who's writing those comments. Yeah. But anyway, she's been building up this YouTube channel since 2011. I will tell you, if nothing else, this woman is a hard worker because it is fucking chock block with shit. And she is a master of creating these like voice to camera kind of content. And she rambles on and on. And it seems that people love it because... Well, or do they? Because I've also read that she's managed to like game the whole SEO page ranking stuff because apparently, and I didn't do this, I should do this. I read this. She ranks top of page for things like, should I kill myself? (gasps) So if you put that into Google, apparently she comes comes up up as one of these. Yeah, it's really fucking dark. But what is a fact is that she's got 1.31 million followers on YouTube. Shit. She's got more than 600,000 on Instagram. She's got more than 700,000 on TikTok. She's oh huge on TikTok. God. She's published five books of nonfiction. She's got a novel. She does workshops. 
she does this signature synchronization workshop. It's only nine ninety nine. Sorry, ninety nine ninety nine US dollars. <laughs> ninety nine ninety nine. Come on now, <laughs> on the back of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> she does these workshops where you can expand and connect with yourself on a deep level. Wow! And towards new horizons. It's all this language which says so much and doesn't mean anything. She hosts these week-long five grand a pop curveball retreats in Costa Rica where she personally shows you how to find the truth out about yourself and life and she sells meditations and e-courses. So she's making money and she's got merch and she does these frequency paintings which are really fucking ugly but that's just my opinion. Some people like them. But the main thing she does is this thing called a completion process. It's an 18-step visualization that walks you through how like emotional triggers from early childhood. A lot of people are saying she creates these triggers. She's encouraging you to go deep and find emotional triggers to resolve your unmet childhood needs through mental visualization. But from an adult perspective, it also involves summoning the dead to help you remove past trauma or uncover buried trauma that you might have forgotten right so she's basically reprogramming (laughs) yes because we've talked again on this very podcast about false memories well she's already said that she remembers i mean we can't discount the fact that she wasn't abused as a child but was she really privy to seeing child sacrifice and being involved in that because we know that satanic panic was just a fabrication for the most part. Well, listen to this, Jordi. This will blow your mind. And funny you should bring up satanic panic because it turns out that some of the childhood abuse Teal Swan says she experienced was satanic ritual abuse, as I mentioned. And she only yeah. realized after she uncovered repressed memories about it all while working with a therapist called Barbara Snow, who was the key person in the satanic panic of the 80s. Of course. Barbara Snow was accused of using dodgy techniques to get children to testify that they'd experienced all this ritualist satanic abuse. She was the one who uncovered these in Teal Swan. Make of that what you will. I I really don't know what to make of any of it, actually, Michelle. I'm just wondering, I guess, apart from the fact that she's hit on something where she can make a shitload of money, she kind of sounds like the people in the very first bit that you did today. Yeah. Like she's a scammer. Yeah, she is. Satanic panic. It's basically connecting back to QAnon because that's what they believed in. It was just the modern day version of it. It's all different shades of the same colour. Yeah. I think. But back to Teal Swan, one of the things that she loves investigating is repressed memories of abuse with her clients. And like I said, despite the fact that she has no professional background or education in psychology or any qualifications to do that. She just relies on her instincts. And she says she can sense when people are burying specific trauma memories. And then she goes through her completion process to like sort these people out. There's this thing called the Teal Tribe. It's a private closed Facebook group. Um, and if you're a member, you can pay $2,600 to learn how to do this completion Fuck. process. Which means then you go out... And you can go and diagnose and fix people who also have had, you know, satanic ritual abuse memories, which, quite frankly, you're probably implanting. So it's really fucking scary. And this also reminds me very much of Keith Ranieri. Yes. And his Nixium cult. But like any good cult leader, Teal Swan, her followers absolutely worship her. And she Mm -hmm. even has some of them sign pledges that they vow to keep her safe and will only be with partners or marry people who also follow her teachings. And they have wow. to vow to never have children. That's a cult. Yep. Guys. Yep. It's a cult. You know how we were talking death is a reset. Well, yeah. there have been people who have taken that literally. And there was Shit. this brilliant BBC article about a woman whose 18-year-old daughter killed herself only. And then weeks after the mum discovered she was part of this teal tribe, she'd put on this Teal Tribe, I'm thinking of committing suicide. And the admin of that Facebook group, of Teal's Facebook group, put that reset, death is a reset video as the only comment. The moderators were rephrasing Teal's words and they had said, basically, suicide is our safety net, our reset button that's always available to us. It's fucking heartbreaking. And look, there is a podcast called The Gateway, which 
hands up, I've not listened to it, but apparently it's a big expose on Teal Swan. And apparently in the last episode, they asked Teal Swan outright, because she actually is on this podcast, are you the head of a cult? And she says, what do I say to people who ask, do I run a cult? And she's like, a lot of people are going to demonize me because of my honesty. And she says she has the perfect recipe for a cult and she knows it. She has a demographic of people who are lonely, miserable, isolated. They want to belong. They're desperate. And they're looking for her approval. But she says, I have ethics Mm. and I've lived in a cult. Well, has she? She says, you know, she's not a cult, but she encourages people to follow their own internal guidance system. With a little bit of help from her. And so she says, it's bullshit. Whether or not she's a cult leader, I personally, and I've only scratched the surface of her messages, I think it's dangerous, especially for people who are lost or vulnerable, who are searching for something maybe suicidal. So if you find your friends or your kids or your family watching Teal Swan videos or it pops up because, you know, YouTube gives you more of what you're searching. I imagine I'm probably now going to be getting Teal Swan videos coming up on my sidebar. Just keep an eye on it. Shut it it down. Just keep an eye on it. Shut it it down down or keep an eye on it. Have open conversations, discussions. And if you feel that you're not capable of having those discussions, then find a family friend or a family member who is able to have those discussions with your young person. Or contact one of these places like The Listening Place or Samaritans who are able to help and have been trained. People do care. They do. And they're not just out to get your money. They want to help. Some people just want to help. Well, thanks, Michelle, for all your bits and pieces that you've thrown at me today. Laid bare your bits and your bobs. My bits, my bobs. I always love your bits and bobs. (laughs) But listen, the only thing I want to say now, apart from, listen, guys, If you love our podcasts, please pop over to Patreon. We have more there, including the eavesdrop and light that we talked about a few weeks ago, where we're going to do some little children's versions, not little children's, just some swear free. (laughs) I'm not going to say that we're, we're going to be talking to children. It's going to be stories focused on the younger generation, Mm -hmm. but without all the swearing. So you can let your kids have a listen. So yeah, please go over to our social media. We've got our Instagram, eavesdrop and underscore, like our videos, and which are just ads really for this podcast. And sign up to the podcast, listen every week, tell your friends. We love you to listen. did have a few uh, eavesdroppers get in touch saying they have tried to find us on Patreon and they cannot. You have to follow our direct link. Otherwise, we are not searchable right now. That's how Patreon are doing it right now. Not every podcast is searchable and we are one of those at the moment. The link is in the show notes on our website, also uh, in the show notes on wherever you're listening. So on Spotify, Apple, uh, you can click through from there or at least see the link. Good advice, Michelle. We love you. And whatever you do. Wherever you are. Just just keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.